My fellow Americans, it's me, Ian Chillock, filling in for Flora. A little while back, we asked you ELT listeners to call in with your questions about life in the White House. And you hit us with more questions than Joe Biden trying to program the White House VCR. Hi, ELT team. I'm calling with some questions about life in the White House. Uh, I have a White House question for you that I've had for a while. I'm digging into a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream right now, and it got me thinking about the White House. When a new president moves into the White House, can he bring his own furniture? When presidents have dogs, how much free reign do those animals get? If you lived in the White House, can they just get anything whenever they want it? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, and I love the show. We called a White House insider, someone who's gotten to know the house part of the White House, where the first family lives. Hi. My name's Kate Anderson Brower. I'm an author and a journalist. Kate had covered the White House for years, but she never thought about what it was like to live there. Then First Lady Michelle Obama invited her and some other reporters to lunch. And this butler was coming in and out and serving us, and she knew him by name. And I just thought, like, this is a whole universe of people that we as reporters never get to see. So Kate started interviewing the people who work there, the housekeepers, carpenters, ushers, butlers, for her book, The Residence. Okay, so let's talk about that universe. I have here a rolled up $20 bill. Let me just unroll it, uh, smooth it out, flip it over. All right, now bypassing what are clearly a number of Illuminati symbols, I am looking at a picture of the White House. Take me on a tour of what it's like to live there. So the White House looks like it's three floors. It's really six floors, and there are two hidden mezzanine levels. Wow. Um, Yes, it's really amazing. There is this whole world in the basement. There are two basement levels, and that's where, you know, butlers have their lockers. And there used to be a cafeteria for the staff downstairs. Um, It's really Downton Abbey-esque, you know? But the second floor is designed to feel more like a home. There's, you know, a a living room. There's a small kitchen. It's an Eden kitchen so that there's a sense of separation between what's going on on the state floor where you have all these tourists coming in every year and what's going on upstairs. And so it really has the feeling of working above the store. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then on the third floor, there's this incredible space called the solarium, which is really a kind of family room. It's like where they hang out and they can watch TV. For the Johnsons, it was like a teenage hideaway. For the Obama daughters, they had sleepovers there. So it just is a more kind of family-oriented spot. And, you know, whenever I've seen photos of the White House, the furniture all looks really lovely and classic none of it looks comfortable. Like, is, <laughs> is there like a Barca lounger or a beanbag chair? Like, is there <laughs> is there any comfortable furniture in there? I mean, the treaty room is the president's office, and that's a really comfortable space with a nice big sofa. Um, it's also where the bushes would go after a long day and smoke cigarettes, and they would crack the window, and they would forget to close the window afterwards, and the Secret Service would get really mad about that. <laughs> I love that because, you you know, we talk so much about how 
smoking is bad for you, but we're never we're never talking about the fact that we have to raise bulletproof glass windows in order to do right. this. <laughs> okay, Kate, let's get to our listener questions. This one is from Rachel in North Dakota. When a new president moves into the White House, can he bring his own furniture? Or like, have they been sleeping on a bed that five of the presidents have slept in? I love this question. <laughs> How far back does the mattress go? They each bring in their own mattress. Okay, thank good. God. Yeah. The Bidens have brought in like a canopy bed they love. They haven't changed much, but that's one of the things they've done. They bring in their own mattresses. They can go to this amazing top secret location where all of the furniture that's ever been in the White House is kept in this big, giant, climate-controlled warehouse. And first ladies, like, love going there and picking whatever they want out to to bring in. And, you know, um, one first lady brought in Jackie Kennedy's writing desk so she could feel closer to her. Moving day sounds so crazy. The staff has to move all this furniture, get it in place in such a short amount of time. Are they, you know, a few months before, when it's election night, is the staff always rooting for the incumbent just so they don't have to do this big move on Inauguration Day? Selfishly, yes. I think they really, <laughs> yes. I mean, who would want to have to, like, have your boss basically leave and now you don't know the expectations of the new boss and you have to, like, do all of this incredible work. Um, and it's just amazing the amount of choreography that goes into that day. I mean, they know exactly where the toothbrushes are going on the counters and what kind of shampoo they like, what they want for breakfast the next day. I can't think of anything more personal than kind of like your food preferences, right? And before the family moves in, the staff is desperately trying to make sure they have what they like. All these changes by the first family make the place their own. We have another voicemail here about the White House guests who have other ways of marking their territory. Hi, Flora and the ELT team. I was trying to figure out who takes care of the presidential dogs on a day-to-day basis. I'm sure that President Biden and Dr. Biden love their pets very much, but I also can't imagine that they have the time to go on a walk multiple times a day. So who takes care of the president's dog? Is there an official White House dog walker? There is. His name is Dale Haney. He's been there for a long, long time. He is started at the White House in 1972 as a gardener. And in 2008, he became the superintendent of the White House grounds. But the cooler part of his job is that he's the one who was in charge of the dogs. So he's walking the the Biden's German Shepherd champ who just passed away and major, you know, he kind of fell into that job because he started walking um, Nixon's dog. I I imagine sometimes the president is just going to want to walk his own dog. Oh, yeah. Both Bushes were really into walking their own dogs, but they can't go out and just take the dog for a walk on the street, obviously. When they do take the dog for a walk, when the president does walk their own dog, are they picking up the poop? <laughs> uh, I would assume so. They better be. Do the little baggies have the presidential <laughs> seal on them? <laughs> I've never thought to look into that. Let's. Uh, I just. I'll, I'm just going to imagine that's the case. I'm just uh, yeah. Go with it. Probably. 
My name is Zach, and I have a somewhat of a factual emergency related to White House things, which is when presidents have dogs, or I guess other pets, how much free reign do those animals get of this historic building? Like, do they get to go wherever they want? How does that work? In recent years, the dogs are like everywhere, you know, um, depending on how well behaved the dogs are. I think sometimes they come down to the state floor. Sometimes they go into the Oval Office area, the West Wing. I remember like on Air Force One, Obama's dogs would come back. Bo would come back to the press area like the dogs were on the plane. But they're around and you hear barking in the White House now with the Biden's dogs like um it's a family it's a family home which gets back to like the living above the store thing. Mm-hmm. Now I can only think of one White House cat, Socks the Clinton's cat. Most first families do seem to be dog people. Have there been other pets? It's hard to imagine a president being, you know, a snake guy. <laughs> Over the years, there have just been a crazy assortment of pets that have lived in the White House. I mean, Thomas Jefferson was given two grizzly bears. So obviously, <laughs> you know, they did not um, wander around the White House grounds, but they did live in cages on the front lawn for several months, which is kind of crazy. What? Yes, it's, um, it's bizarre. I mean, there's Calvin Coolidge had two lion cubs, a donkey, <laughs> a goose. Um, I think the craziest is Eisenhower. President Eisenhower got a 440-pound baby forest elephant, but he ended up giving it to the National Zoo. I feel like that's the right call. I think so, too. After the break, how the commander-in-chief gets his combos and Cheez-Its. And what happens when first families fight? There are some people who have been let go because they just couldn't discreetly exit the room. And now we continue our White House tour. If you look to your left, you'll see this voicemail. Hi, ELT team. My name is Lauren, and I'm just really curious about how the president and the first lady make requests for meals and snacks and groceries and the logistics of how all of that works, because obviously he's probably not the one ordering or picking up any of that stuff himself. Well, there's actually someone in charge of that. And um, the person who I interviewed named Bill Hamilton was there for decades. He's retired. He's one of the longest serving people to work in the White House. And he was the one that was in charge of getting the food for the family. He would go to a supermarket and he wouldn't tell me which one <laughs> in an unmarked Secret Service van. Whoa. So... If he's going to get bananas, he just puts it in a cart like anybody else. So you never know in Washington if you're um, if you're going to be grocery shopping with a person bringing food back for the the president and his family. You might have squeezed a melon to test it that later <laughs> ended up on the president's plate. Exactly, exactly true. It's kind of crazy. It's this seems like kind of a dream that you could have. Um, you know, you, you have uh, this someone going to shop for you, make this food for you. Um, and then is it all just free if you live in the White House? No. And that is a real myth. The family, when they're eating alone, they have to pay for their own food. Or when they have guests over, 
like when the kids have friends over, they pay for everything and they see that bill. Um, President Kennedy was like obsessed with the the milk bill for some reason. And Jackie (laughs) would tell the chief usher, we're not nearly as rich as you might think, you know, of course they were. Yeah, yeah. Rosalind Carter would ask for leftovers because it's it can be really expensive. So who makes the menu then? Who's deciding what the first family eats? Uh, well, the chef. She's the one who's planning out these meals. It's currently Christetta Comerford. She has been there since 2005. She's the first woman and the first person of Asian descent to have this job. And then it's the social secretary is telling the first lady, you know, here's the menu. And usually I believe it's on Sunday nights that they get the menu for the rest of the week um, and they approve it or not. Um, And they like things, you know, some first ladies and presidents um, are really into healthy eating. Like the Clintons hired a chef that was using like very fresh ingredients. And then this chef was then fired by George W. Bush because he wanted peanut butter and honey sandwiches, you know? (laughs) So it just depends on the, on the person. It's interesting. You have these people who, you know, they work under George W. Bush and then Obama and then Trump. So they have these bosses, I guess, who have these, totally different political philosophies, approaches to what America should be. And they're able to survive those changes. But when it comes to like what somebody likes for a snack, that's what could get you fired. (laughs) That's true. And that's what like keeps them up at night is that they work at the pleasure of the president and they can be fired on like a complete whim. And people have been, you know, um, I mean, there's some stories that I love that aren't that surprising, like Nancy Reagan getting so angry that some of her Limoges, you know, porcelain eggs were broken and it she was screaming about it at the head housekeeper. And it was such a big deal that they started to photograph every room so that when they would do a deep clean of the rooms, they would be able to point to where everything was oh, so that God. if anything was out of place, they could defend it. Hi, I'm digging into a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream right now, and it got me thinking about the White House. And the number of times that I have a food craving, and it's 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night, and I don't follow through on that food craving because of the inconvenience of having to drive to town. But then I realized if you lived in the White House, can they just get anything whenever they want it? So they do have a kitchen upstairs on the second floor, if they want to make something or if they have a craving, they can call downstairs to the chef and get whatever they want. Or if it's three in the morning, they can go and like get a cookie from the kitchen kind of thing. (laughs) And each family has their different, you know, cravings. Like Hillary Clinton loved this chocolate mocha cake. And when she was having a really bad day, she would call the pastry chef and ask for the chocolate mocha cake. When when Hillary Clinton wanted the chocolate mocha cake, was everybody like, guys, she asked for the cake. Stay out of her way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they knew it was a, a hard day for her when she was asking for that cake. What happens, what does everybody do when the president and the first lady are having a fight? Oh, they get out of there. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, they very discreetly leave the room. And uh, I think that, like, it's it's very emotional. Like, they care so much about the families. Like, during the Lewinsky scandal, they were so, you know, one of the staff said it was like they felt like they were witnessing what could have been this terrible, you know, break in this relationship. And they get embroiled in the emotions of it all, too, because they see it play out every day. But I think they just try to, like, give them as much privacy as possible and and really get out of the way. And there's some people who have been let go because they just couldn't kind of discreetly exit the room or they would get flustered or they would talk. Like, you're not supposed to talk to the president and the first lady until they talk to you because who would want to have to say hello every day to people? And then, you know, it just would be really exhausting. So... There are some people that I think are not, like they, they just could not handle the pressure, but they could be the best housekeeper in the world, but they can't, that is not the right job for them. You tell a, a very touching story in the book about, uh, that I, I think is an usher who's talking about on inauguration night, seeing Barack and Michelle Obama, like, once all the cameras are gone and the balls are over, just like dancing together mm-hmm. in, in sweatpants, I think. Yeah. I I just think about a couple living in the White House, being observed. It does sound like it would just wear everyone out. Like you, you just want to get back to your normal, mundane, butler-free life in your non-White House. You know, one of the great stories that Hillary Clinton tells is that she, when Chelsea was sick one night, she wanted to make her dinner and like she started getting out the ingredients to make scrambled eggs. And the butler saw her doing this and was like horrified and said, well, we'll do it, you know, let us do it. And she had to kind of fight back to say, no, I want to do it for my daughter because I want to take care of her. Um, And I think that's something that they all kind of struggle with. Yeah, I guess you live this, you know, long, normal life, and then suddenly you're in the White House and your life is like that. It's kind of, um, it's a very difficult lifestyle, I think. Okay, I just, I, I have to ask you one more thing. We, we talked about, you know, what's in the fridge in the White House, what's in the storeroom. We have to talk about Crunchy. <laughs> Oh, I forgot about Crunchy. Am I putting you too much on the spot to ask you to tell me the story? <laughs> no one's ever asked me about Crunchy, but um, what was it a fetus of like a cat? Yes, it was a cat fetus that uh, Lyndon Johnson's daughter kept in a refrigerator in the, in the White House. <laughs> the, the story you tell in the book is that she was on her way to nursing school. So she had this cat fetus that she had been practicing dissection on. <laughs> yes. And then kept it in, I guess, the fridge or the freezer in the residence. Uh, and it was named Crunchy because she kept it in a jar of uh, what had formerly been a peanut butter jar. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think one of one of the staff members, you say, said it was very sad to see uh, her go, but it was not sad to see Crunchy leave the refrigerator. <laughs> Yeah, that is one of the weirder stories. Which is good. It's good that it didn't get much weirder than a cat fetus named Crunchy living in a refrigerator. (laughs) 
Well, Kate, this has been so fascinating. Thanks so much. I loved um, that you asked about Crunchy because literally no one has ever asked about Crunchy. <laughs> um, thank you very much. It was, it was really fun to talk with you. Every Little Thing is produced by Chris Neary, Edgar Aldas, Caitlin O'Keefe, Stephanie Werner, Phoebe Flanagan, Annette Heist, and Flora Lickman, with help from Nicole Pasulka and Doug Barron. Our guest host is Ian Chillog, edited by Jorge Just and Caitlin Kenny, scored by Dara Hirsch, Emma Munger, and Bobby Lord, mixed by Dara Hirsch. ELT is a Spotify original podcast. Listen for free on Spotify. There's nothing wrong with a canopy bed. Goodbye. Hey, every little thing, this is Hayden. Um, we've spoken once before uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, and you talked to me about my band, which couldn't practice because of uh, the coronavirus. And I just wanted to call and leave a message because we are in the middle of our first practice back. So I just wanted to play something for you before we, uh, I guess, get back to practice in a way that is less possibly embarrassing. <laughs> I hope you're doing well. <laughs> I'm walking slowly. I'm taking my time.